we, uh, after my message, we do get to celebrate Holy Communion together. So if you came in and you forgot some communion elements, our hospitality team would be glad to give that to you. So raise your hand uh, and then they become, uh, they'll come by the aisles and, and give those to you. So <clears throat> several months ago in the height of COVID, um, my wife on Facebook Marketplace found this punching bag. Not the one here, but the one here. So we hung it in our basement and now there's a punching bag and a treadmill for us because, you know, my kids, they just need to take out their COVID aggression. Or me. How about you? Yeah? Time on your hands. So, and so we, we, we had this punching bag uh, installed. Uh, Jake Ellinger actually helped me put it up. And I'm going to ask McGuire Ellinger to come up because he's going to be my helper. At 7.45 this morning, I punched this and, and it went off the the roller. I'm like, uh-oh, I better, I, I need help. So McGuire, I'm not going to hit you in the face. Just, you know, uh, kind of put your face on the side there. I'm going to do a right cross, so you probably want to go on your left side. What's your left side? Is that your left side? Yeah, that's good. You stay there. All right. So just hold it. Hold it. So anyway, uh, I don't know anything about boxing, right? I mean, I, I saw the thrill in Manila that dates me on a black and white TV wide world of sports, right? Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali in the Philippines, right? I know about Manny Pacquiao. I know about Mike Tyson. I don't know who's fighting now, but I don't know anything about boxing. And so what does any novice do when, when you first start? You know, you, you go to YouTube. You watch the tutorials, right? That's, that's what I did. And so I learned how to do a boxing combination, a one-two punch. Anybody heard of that? The boxing combination, one-two punch. What is it? It's a jab and then with your lead hand and then it's a cross, a jab and a cross. You know what? Let's get our blood flowing. I want you guys to stand up. Let's stand up and you're going to help me do that. Come on, guys, stand up. So look, you're in this stance and you keep your hands by your face. You want to protect your face, right? And so with whatever, if you're left hand or right hand, I don't know, whatever your lead hand is, you just jab. Oh, you got to hold it a little I mean, I don't want it to fall off. Get up a little closer. You jab, right? Put that out there with your left. And then after you do the jab, okay, do the cross. So it's like this. You got it? Yeah? Your blood flowing? All right, you sit down. Boxing combination. One, thank you, McGuire. I'm good. One, 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 two. It actually helps get my nerves out of preaching. You know, how does all this fit into our prayer series? How, how, well, let me tell you. That's my job, right? A one-two combination, a jab, and a cross. We've been focusing on Matthew chapter 6, pretty much verses 9 through 12. I'm going to go a little bit further, 14 and 15. I'll tell you why in a minute. But specifically in this verse of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples, his followers say, you know, teach us to pray. And so God is praying, forgive us our debts, our trespasses. That's the way we say it, right? Or forgive us. Uh, as we forgive our debtors or those who, who trespass against us, I believe these are the hardest and most spiritually challenging of all the words Jesus taught us to pray. You could say, them's fighting words, right? Them's fighting words. Why? Because the Lord's Prayer is rolling along, right? You're in heaven, Father, great, holy is your name, that's wonderful, right? Your kingdom come, of course we want that, your will be done, no problems there, right? Give us our food, that's great. And then boom, boom. The jab, forgive us our sins. I don't want to be reminded of my sins. You're praying, forgive us. It's, it's kind of like you ever get punched in the solar plexus, 
I remember playing soccer and some guy elbowed me right there and I just went, uh, uh. you just can't breathe. Really, truly, it sounds like that. Right? Who's been punched in the solar plexus? I just told Matt I was punched in the face twice in my life when I got jumped once and then in a soccer match. You know, I don't, I'm not a fighter. I told you guys that, but I don't know anything about boxing. But it really does take out aggression. And so that first punch, forgive us our sins, like, it's, it's like that jab. It kind of knocks the wind out of you. Then the second come, punch comes. It's the, it's, it's the cross, right? This combination. One, two. As we forgive those who sin against us. Really, God, you're telling me how to forgive somebody who offended me? I mean, it's a double hurt, right? Right in our prayer, right? Where does that come from? Ah, oh, but it's in God's prayer, and he put it there on purpose. Jesus teaches us to pray that way. So let's get the, a little point out of the way first, and it's really not that little. It's kind of weighty, okay? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute why that is. Forgive us our what? What do you say there? Forgive us our debts. If you do that, you're probably coming from a reformed denomination, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you come from a Roman Catholic or Lutheran tradition, we say trespass, right? But during the late 20th century, this ecumenical movement comes along and say, that's okay, just put sins in there. So debts, trespass, sins, which one do you use? It really doesn't matter because it carries a similar meaning, doesn't it? It's the wrongs that we do against a holy God. And so in this petition or this ask of God, we're seeking his mercy for our wrongdoings. Think about the word trespass for just a minute. What does that communicate? Kind of unlawfully entering somebody's property, right? You trespass. You go across their boundary line. That's what God's saying when you commit a sin against him. You're going over the boundary line. What about the, the word debt? The word debt. What does that carry with it? It's a financial term, isn't it? Debt. The debt we owe, right? It's a, a, what we owe to God when we sin against him in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left, what? Undone. Psalm 51, which we'll read as a confessional psalm before communion, says it this way against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. How large of a debt. How large of a debt do we owe God? Jesus kind of unpacks that in Matthew chapter 18. He tells this parable. He tells this parable of an unmerciful servant. And a servant who owed his master 10,000 talents. So I want you to think about this. One talent, it's the largest kind of currency in Jesus' day. One talent is about, it's equal to 20 years of pay. For an average worker's pay. 20 years, just one talent. One talent. So, so 20 years of work then, if you have 10,000 talents, it's about 200,000 years. If an average worker works like 60 years, guess how many lifetimes that is to pay back? 3,333 lifetimes to pay back. Does that put you in perspective of what kind of debt that we owe a holy God? I mean, why does Jesus set this debt so high? It's because before a holy and righteous and perfect God, our heavenly master, that's the sin debt that is so extensive. So when we say forgive us our sins, we shouldn't be taking that lightly, should we? Forgive us our sins should be like a punch in the gut, right? That we would be on our knees in repentance saying, we're asking a lot of you, God. Forgive us our sins. That's the first part of that combination because we all know that we fall short of what? The glory of God. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. 
that we're sinful, sinful from birth. In our sin nature, here's a double negative, we cannot not sin. Right? That's just what it is in our sin nature. We cannot not sin. But the gospel, the good news is that God forgives our sins for the sake of Jesus' righteousness and sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. He took the punishment that we deserve. He took that. And we ask God, would you please don't condemn us. Look beyond it. And he responds positively because of Jesus. That's the good news. That's the greatest news that we could ever have. Amen? I've heard it said this way, that our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same things. Our greatest need, God's greatest gift, the same thing as forgiveness of sins. Isn't that so true? Now before we move on to that second punch, the first one's a what? The second one is a what? You guys got it, right? Before I do that second one, do you ever think about this, how different it would be if the Lord's Prayer were not spoken in the plural form? What do I mean by that? You see the words our Father, right? Give us, right? Forgive us our, as we forgive, as we forgive those. It's not my, it's not me, it's not I. It's a plural perspective. Jesus doesn't say when you pray, pray my Father in heaven, right? He doesn't say when you pray, followers of mine, you know it's good for you to say the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No. He says when you pray, pray our Father. And the good news about that is, the incredible thing is that Jesus shares his identity with his father, with us. And he takes on our identity. And we take his, that he's interceding for God the Father at the same time we're praying this prayer. It is awesome to know that. The second thing about how cool it is in the plural form is that we're all praying for one another. When we pray this prayer together, communally, it's a community prayer, isn't it? It's a family of God prayer. It's quite different if we'd be saying this, give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. Lead me not into temptation. But no, we say our Father. We say our sins. It's a great thing. We looked at the jab. We're going to look at the second one. Boom, right? The one that kind of sends us to the mat. Forgive us. Or as we forgive our debtors is that second one. The phrase comes just like a jab should be, you know, one right after the other. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly wouldn't have put that prayer in the way Jesus did. I mean, would you ever pray, God, would you love me like I love others? God, would you have compassion on me like the way I have compassion on others? Would you ever pray that? Ouch. But this part, he says, you know, he instructs us really, God's forgiveness on us as we forgive others. Boom. Ouch. And really it's the only phrase in the Lord's Prayer that that Jesus seems he has to clarify. If you go to Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's Jesus really saying here? Is he, is he really saying that he's gonna, the Father forgives in proportion to the way that we forgive others? Ouch. Is that what he means? Aren't we saved by grace alone? Is there a requirement of us forgiving before our sins are forgiven? 
something we need to unpack just a little bit before we move on, right? This is important because it's God's word. It's wholly inspired by the, 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 the spirit. And, and so oftentimes we, we want to kind of put this prayer in a box. What do I mean by that? Because really, I don't know about you, but I know about me that I'd want to understand it in a box like this. That God's forgiveness for, for my trespass is completely disconnected from my forgiveness of other people. That's the box. I mean, I wish it would just end. Father, forgive us our sins. Done. No, but then it goes on. And he's instructing us to pray more. So if we're confused about this prayer, it's not that Jesus' prayer is confusing. It's that it's hard for us to understand the heart of God. Isn't it? It, is just, it just is. And we want to do that. And so it's, I think it's appropriate for us to just, okay, God, what are you saying in this? Well, first things first. God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is always first. Think about it. That's what makes Christianity unique of all the religions of the world. In Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam, right, good works always come first. And then forgiveness and salvation are granted based on their gods by how much good you do. Isn't that the case? That's not the case with Christianity. The Bible says in Romans, for God demonstrates his love. God demonstrates his love for you. How? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? That's the best news we could have, that God's grace and forgiveness is always first. But here's the thing. What comes first can't be separated from what comes second. It can't. What comes first can't be separated from what comes second. You have to remember that Jesus is speaking to his followers, his disciples. He already gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He already said, blessed are you who follow me because yours is the kingdom. You're the merciful ones. You're the sons and daughters of God. You're the ones that are pure in heart. He's speaking to his followers, those inside the kingdom, not outside the kingdom. And so we forgive as we are forgiven. And quite literally in the Greek, and if you look at it, in the, if you have the NIV, it's, it's like this. And forgive us our debts as also we what? Help me. Present tense, past tense. Past tense. And so it shows this link, this inevitable link that's forged between God's grace and the way his followers deal with other people. It's the same connection that Jesus' brother James is trying to write in chapter 2 of his his letter. James 2 verse 14 starts this way. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Faith by itself, it's not, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You see, just like doing good is a natural outpouring of our faith, we forgive others as a natural outpouring of how much we've been forgiven. Faith's a gift, just like forgiveness, good works naturally follow true faith. Just like forgiveness of others naturally follows being forgiven. You remember how we realized it's this plural perspective, that it's a community prayer, that it's a family of God prayer? I think it's so important to Jesus that he shows such deep concern for community for community of believers. You know how we pray in, the, in, in, not pray, but speak an affirmation sometimes, the Apostles' Creed? Remember that, that Apostles' Creed that we say, the communion of what? Saints and the forgiveness of sins. 
He knows his followers are not always going to live together in perfect harmony. He knows there are going to be terrible disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would treat each other poorly. He knows this. And so he puts in his prayer, unless we're able to apply that forgiveness to one another, well, our community is going to be broken. It's going to split apart. And that's what the devil wants to do, to split our community apart. But mutual forgiveness of one another, that's what makes possible for us to live in a community, to stay together. Because here's the truth. God's forgiven people are forgiving people, right? His forgiven people are forgiving people. I don't know about you and your family, but I'm guessing it's a lot like mine. We have to extend forgiveness to one another. Two sinful parents, six sinful kids plus one sinful daughter-in-law and three sinful grandsons. Yeah. We have to extend to each other forgiveness because imperfection and hurt feelings, they are going to come. No one's more aware of that than God. So he puts in this prayer, forgive as you've been forgiven. And I think something that kind of we lost sight of these days because I think too many people are willing to give up on community and go it alone. They won't forgive. They'll just go somewhere else. But brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need one another. Amen? We need to be together as believers forgiving one another, whether that's in a small group, whether that's here at church. If you're watching online, I hope you're not isolated, that you have believers with you, or that sometime during the week you're going to connect with believers. That's kind of what I've been learning in this one-two combination, right? Boom, the jab. He hits us out of nowhere, right? Knocks the wind us. Forgive us our sins. I don't want to talk about that, but... Yeah, Jesus wants us to then forgive one another. The cross, a second punch that sends us to our feet. And before we close, I just want to touch on the second part of that. Because sometimes we do get knocked on our feet. And these are hard and these are spiritually challenging words. So I want to share two points about forgiving those who trespass against us. Because Jesus is clearly teaching us that we are to live as forgiving people. Amen. First one is this. There's a difference between not being able to and refusing to. There's a difference there. And sometimes the wrong that's been committed against us is so great and so painful. I get it. It's happened to me before. It's hard, very hard, impossible almost to forgive the wrongdoer. But we need to recognize that there's a real difference between not being able to and refusing to. And sometimes the best thing we can do is just fall on our knees just like the psalmist David did, King David, you know, in, in Psalm 51. He says, I have a broken and contrite heart. I am poor in spirit. You know, sometimes there's a sin that, that is committed against us. Uh, well, I'll say it this way. There's no sin that someone commits against us that is not unforgivable. There's no wrong someone does to you that God allows you to not forgive. That's hard to realize, but it is. His grace covers over every sin. Amen? And I know in a group this large and those that are watching even larger online, there's somebody I know that's plagued with guilt. And maybe you have accusations in your mind, something like this. God can't love me. God's not going to forgive that. I'm too dirty. I'm too bad. All that. Let me stress to you this point. Those are untrue words. 
Those aren't God's words. No matter what you have done, no matter what has happened to you, no matter how great you think your stain of sin is, Jesus took it. Jesus died for it on the cross. His death was enough. There's no greater, there's no sin that's greater than his righteousness, is there? No, I've said it, I've heard it said this way. There's more grace in God than sin in you. Isn't that so true? I think Pope Francis says God never tires of forgiving us. We just get tired of asking for forgiveness. There's a difference between not being able to and, and, and refusing to. There's no sin that we're not able to forgive in others. If you find yourself thinking that way, we need to rephrase that kind of way we say it because we're ask, actually refusing to forgive. Refusing to forgive and insisting on holding on to the anger and the grudge, that's the dangerous place to be. The dangerous place. Remember Matthew 18, I talked about it a little bit, about the size of the debt. How many lifetimes? 3,333 lifetimes. Well, Jesus goes on in this parable and he talks about the master and what he did to forgive that massive debt and, and what the servant did. In verse 28, it says, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. This is a few dollars. Easy to pay back. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Then the master called the servant and you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus summarizes the same point he makes in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. You see, God forgave us. So we need to forgive one another. Second point I want to make on that, though, because... This is a hard teaching. It's not easy. It's just flat out not easy. It's hard. I get it. As long as we live on this earth, the conscious decision that I'm not going to hold a grudge, that I'm not going to retaliate, that I am going to release someone of the debt they have is hard. The greater the wrong, the harder it is. I get it. Even when you ask for God's help. You're going to struggle. I get it. Spiritually, emotionally, even sometimes physically for months, for years, because forgiving is not easy. But here's the point I want to make. Let's not confuse emotions from the act of forgiveness. The emotions of forgiveness from the act. What do I mean by that? We might not be totally free of the pain. Somebody wronged us. But that doesn't mean that we haven't forgiven the one who's wronged us. See, I think Part of the joy that awaits us in heaven, I mean, is that final and complete catching up with our emotions, with the facts. That's what's going to happen. Because God promises that there's no more tear, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow in heaven. There's a wonderful role model for us. There's a woman named Corey Tenboom, and I, maybe you know her, heard of that story, right? Corey Tenboom in World War II. Uh, her family was taken by the Nazis in the concentration camp, and she experienced a lot of uh, suffering, even some death of family members. But what happened after she got out of the uh, concentration camp, years later, she was, uh, she was uh, 
confronted with one of her tormentors, right? They had a conversation. In the course of that conversation, this one who, who tormented them asked for forgiveness. And by God's miraculous grace, she extended that forgiveness to him. If you get, get a chance, look her up. But there's a couple other names I want you to put down if you're taking notes. Would you put down Ruby Bridges, the first African-American girl who went to a white school, right? Would you put down Rachel, uh, Rachel Denhollander? I think Pastor Joe told her story uh, past year. Would you put down Gordon Wilson back in the, the late 80s with the, the Protestant and Catholic and the, the fight in, in, in Ireland? Would you, would you put those names down? Look them up. Maybe I'll give you something to do this week as we, we contemplate on forgiving one another. She did forgive him, but her emotions weren't still free. That was Corey Ten Boom's fight. She couldn't find the peace that she knew she would have. She ran into a Lutheran pastor who helped her with an analogy. And I want to share that with you. He pointed at her pointed her to a church that had a bell tower on the roof. He explained that when the bell was rung by pulling on that rope, right, that hung down from the bell tower, as long as someone pulled on the rope, the bell would continue to ring. But when someone decided to take their hands off the rope, the bell would not stop ringing immediately, would it? I mean, what happens when, you, you know, you stop, right? It would slow down. The sounds would still come, but they would get softer over time. And finally, eventually, would stop ringing. Forgiving someone else means we stop pulling on the rope. And we take our hands off. And over time, it's going to stop ringing. It's not easy. The peace may not come as quickly as we want, but it's a process. I've heard it this way. Unforgiveness is said to be like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's unforgiveness. But forgiveness is the, choice to, is the choice to love and to let go, to not hate and not hold on. It's actually a freeing thing. We can't leave this topic of forgiveness without acknowledging this. I came up with this one on my own. Hopefully it works because of the, the whole boxing thing. But it's the ultimate and victorious one-two combination that God did for us. It really is. Boom. The jab. What do you do? Out of nowhere. God promised to send a Savior. He did. When Adam and Eve sinned, right, he said, I'm going to send a Savior, and he did. In Jesus, who humbly took all our sins and went to the cross to take on our human flesh, to be tempted as we are, and not to sin. Boom. Then the cross, literally the cross. That he would exchange his perfection for our sins. He rises from the dead in victory that we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks. Amen. He gives us the joy of heaven. We have it now because he is alive and he continues to fight victoriously for us. And he wants to extend that forgiveness to us every day. Because in our sin nature, we live it. But in our saintly nature, we receive something better. We get an opportunity to do that. As we celebrate Holy Communion, I want to take you to Psalm 51. If you want to go there in the Bibles you have, if not, just listen. Because what I'd like to do is this, just have a time of confession, a confessional moment. And sometimes when I don't have the words to confess to God about my sin, well, God's got it on my heart and on my head. Almost memorized Psalm 51. I taught this to my kids as they were little. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's make this a time where we just say, 
expounding upon God's Lord's, the Lord's prayer, forgive us our sins. David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me. Cleanse me means unsin me. Cleanse me from my sin. For I, might, I know my transgressions, my sins always before you, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And you desire truth in the inner parts. Would you confess just now what's on your heart? Would you acknowledge that God's truth is more than your sin? He writes, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. That means unsend me, God. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. As you make that prayer yours, please know God does he has, he will forgive all your sins. In Jesus' name, amen.